Hello and welcome to another edition of Popcorn Optional, where we talk all things movies. And this week we're going to do something a little bit special, a little bit different. First, we're going to talk the 90th Academy Awards, and then we're going to do something that we've kind of created called the 10 Years Later Oscars, where we talk the 80th Academy Awards and reassign awards based on to how those films have aged 10 years later. This is something that uh, Trevor had brought up in college, and now that we have a podcast, we figure why not do it? So here we are doing this now that we have technology. My name is Cameron Slanina. I'm joined tonight by my co-hosts Jake Brown and Trevor Allison. Hey, man. Yeah, good to be here. Good to be finally doing this. Yeah, it's funny after talking about it for so many years to finally actually be doing it. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into the 90th Academy Awards. Guys, what were your initial thoughts on the awards as a whole? Predictable. Yes. Yeah, some... I didn't read any of those prediction pieces or trending pieces or anything like that, so I was a little surprised by a few things. Um, There were some funny things like... Like Blade Runner winning a bunch more awards than a lot of films that were nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was interesting. What'd you guys think of Kimmel as the host? I okay, so I personally didn't watch the Oscars. Sorry, um, but I did over the past couple of days watch some recaps and some highlights and stuff. Um, and is fine. Like I feel like the monologue could have been a lot funnier. Yeah, I think he. I'll say he stayed out of the way, and I mean that kind of as a compliment. Um, he didn't necessarily try to make it like the Jimmy Kimmel show where we present the Oscars. Yeah, um, right. Which was which was kind of nice. I feel like sometimes there's like these song and dance numbers that kind of take over the whole thing. Um, but but all that said, I mean he he could have been better, funnier, but but I think a solid performance, just fine. The jet ski bit was so funny. Yeah, the that jet was... ski was great. That was really I like funny. that they actually like went through with that and kept it through like the entire show, and it wasn't just like a quick bit at the beginning and then forget about it. Um, yeah. Helen Mirren riding on that jet ski at the end was, was fantastic. <laughs> Helen Mirren just popping up everybody, uh, popping up everywhere was fantastic. <laughs> yep, just randomly. Um, but my ideal like characteristic in a host is somebody that's funny, who I then forget as soon as they're off stage and can focus on whatever just whatever is happening in that moment, and I feel like Kimmel does a good job at that like he's funny enough towards like oh that's entertaining but then it's kind of like as soon as he's gone I'm not thinking like wow that Kimmel bit was uh was killer or wow that Kimmel bit was terrible it was just kind of like oh it was there the past time yeah um, I feel your job as the host is to set up the evening and make the transitions not terrible and mm-hmm. I like I agree with you he did a perfect good perfectly good job of being the host like the MC but I feel like mm-hmm the monologue was a letdown personally yeah no that's fair um let's go through a couple of the highlights of the night kobe bryant now has an academy award same as or a short film as many as deacons yes and leo kobe leo and deacons all have one oscar (laughs) Mm -hmm. so so i i you know there's lots of stories about you know kobe being like like a crazy competitive sociopath um so I, I think he's like legit trying for an EGOT. I think that's like his next stage of life. I, th- I think I think he's like I think actually the Tony is going to will, do that. Will stop him from getting that. Oh, he can he can produce the crap out of something. He can bankroll any production. Oh, dang it! I keep forgetting about that. Yeah. Money. yeah. So so well, yeah, within eight years, I'm calling it. Kobe Bryant will have an EGOT. 
along with his five NBA championship rings. I hate that so much. That's because then that's going to be like the argument. Somebody you know somewhere will pull out the argument of, yeah, but does Jordan or LeBron have an ego? I will not even. I will not even accept Kobe Bryant and the Jordan LeBron conversation. But that's another a conversation for another friend. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's no Kobe Bryant's no Robert Lopez to say the least. Who has now egotted twice? Yeah, is he the Incredible. first egot twice? Uh, I think like one that. other composer has done it. I was gonna say writing writing um, catchy and memorable tunes is a good way to egot. I think. Yes, I mean that's that's the whole Tracy Jordan dream and Thirty Rock. <laughs> yeah. <it is. laughs> um, speech of the night for me goes to Jordan Peele. Uh, I was just so incredibly proud that this guy who started out doing sketch comedy is now now won best original screenplay. It's it's just incredible. Like I couldn't be happier that it went to him, and it wasn't maybe the most obvious choice, especially when it went up against Best Picture winner Shape of Water. But that category was just a stacked category, and so I think it's it's deserving. It really was a stacked category this year. I'm excited to actually read the screenplays. And my favorite part about his speech was how he said that he'd started started and quit writing that script over 20 times. I was like, okay, I'm not the only one bashing my head against the wall on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought, I mean, for Jordan Peele, I mean, I'm sure you guys like this too. When you think of Jordan Peele, I think of him yelling something ridiculous at Keegan Michael Key back mm-hmm. and forth. Like that's like mm-hmm. the, the image in my head of Jordan Peele. And for him to to kind of come from that to to winning this award, especially beating out I didn't see all the movies in this category, but The Big Sick and Lady Bird were two amazing scripts. Mm-hmm. Um and, and Trevor, you saw Lady Bird award. right before the Academy Awards. I did, I did, and I loved it. We know a, I'm a I'm a high school movie fan. I think it's a top three, top five high school movie of all time. Wow. Um what do you think I, of the I Dave Matthews was, usage? I th- okay. I don't like Dave Matthews, and I don't really <laughs> like Crash Into Me. But that was the perfect song for the feel of what was going on in that movie. Yeah, and I I exactly. think it was the perfect choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost made me think that I liked the song, and then I remember that it, it's it's awful. <laughs> okay, this may be a widely known thing, but I found this out like a couple days after having seen Lady Bird. Her best friend is Jonah Hill's little sister. No, really? Okay, she yes. definitely she definitely looks just like him. So that yes. that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that though. Blew my mind. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so um there were some really good montages. The like montage one of the my favorite parts was like the montage of like 90 years of Academy Awards. And it just like reminded me of the hope that movies provide. I know this is like a me drawing way too much out of something that was probably very simple, but I was filled with such hope of like, man, the reason why people love movies, the reason why people go to the theaters year after year is for that hope. And I think, you know, that's such an important thing to remember is that movies may not always be an escape, but they're a message. They're, um, there are themes and things that happen in those movies that are, that give us hope and that remind us of the good. And that's, that's such a powerful thing for, you know, you to go into a movie and two hours later, walk out, uh, having been transported. And that, that montage was just a message of hope. I mean, in a metaphorical way, as far as like thematically what's in there, but also in like a literal of like, 
the hope that all these movies that probably shouldn't like who are one in a million chances of getting made got made and then ended up winning Academy Awards, which is just incredible in and of itself. Yeah, a lot of people on my Twitter feed were complaining, like, what is the point of this montage? Why is it so long? But I just think, I don't think it had a point except to show you, like, these are awesome things in movies. Like, these are these are great moments that everyone loves. And I thought it was delightful. I thought all the, 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 um, the montages of all the previous acting award winners were fantastic. Mm. Um, I was... I was like race racking my brain, like which Joker quote are they going to pick for this? I was, I was, I was like, I was, um, that's like all I could think about during the supporting actor one. It still amazes me, you know, nine years removed that Heath Ledger's Joker, a comic book character, won best supporting actor. Deserved. Oh, completely deserved. But let's be honest. The whole point of us doing the 10 years later Oscars is the fact that, so many times things that are deserved aren't awarded. Yeah. Um, there was a military piece that was really cool honoring veterans and uh, active military, which was something that was kind of like, I would assume that there was a lot of people boycotting the Oscars that would have found that piece interesting, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, the the big thing of the night for me was that all of the original song performances, which is something I can you can very rarely say at the Oscars, but every single one of the original song performances were outstanding. Yeah, this is one of the few times that they're all like actually good songs instead mm-hmm. of having to kind of scrape some songs that just happen to be made for movies. Right. And what's at least for me, what was the funny was that the film that ended up winning best song, Remember Me, from Coco was my least favorite performance out of all of the performances that were up there. Mm. Yeah, I was. I, I really thought that the, the Greatest Showman was going to win this because of all the hype around that. Um, yeah, that performance was killer. Yeah, it was, and so was. Oh my gosh, there are very few people who underspe- understand oral communication like Common. Yeah, he just like. I mean those those Microsoft commercials that were playing that he was on during commercial breaks. Like he just communicates so effectively it's really astounding mm. guys roger deakins won roger deakins won finally it's been it was like the, too long is this a like career whole... award though or is this a, an actual like oh. you guys think that he was actually the best cinematography this year yes blade runner Both. was okay. so much better but also it was a career like Blade Runner, I think, is his most beautiful film that also tells the story. That's what I think Roger Deakins does so well. Um, but, I mean, it was definitely the best film this year, and and it was the best of his career. So that was great. And also, I just loved his speech of just, like, he barely talked about himself. He was like, it's all about my crew and my family, and I love doing this. And, uh, yeah, I'll go shoot the next one. I was like... My man. Yeah, he seems like someone who just likes making movies. Like that's like he just like actually likes doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is awesome. Which is such a like refreshing. Th- it's like when you go to a concert and the band actually looks like they like playing music, and you're like, wow, that makes me like them even more. It's like watching Deacons accept that was like, huh? I already liked him quite a bit, dude. I like he is. More. He is like the best hair for being that age. Yes, <laughs> it's Good. so yes, luscious. Does. it's like this like perfect white like yeah let's talk about baby driver 
Baby Driver not winning anything. I know. Which is exactly what I was going to say was Dunkirk sweeping the tech a lot of the tech awards. I was mad. I I think the one the one for me is film editing. That's like the main mm-hmm. one. I just don't to make Baby Driver to make that movie and it not be visually confusing is a true work of art. But that's also a credit to the sound mixing. Like Baby Driver yeah, is a yeah. like audio movie as much as it is a visual movie. And the way that all those sounds play with each other is is amazing and it's unlike anything that I've ever seen on screen. And so the for it not to win is just in, oh, it's a mess. I yeah, I mean the the fact that Dunkirk took home all of the sound and editing awards basically was a shock to me because I mean there's a huge argument over the story structure and therefore like the way the film was put together in the edit of the non-linear whereas like baby driver just it hits you in the face with how good the editing is but like in a way that you don't even feel it like right it's that's what perfect editing is and yeah i i was very surprised what'd you guys think of all the acting categories i feel like those were all pretty uh Pretty predictable categories between Gary Oldman winning for Darkest Hour, Francis McDormand for three billboards, Sam Rockwell for three billboards, and Allison Janney for Itanya. Yeah. Those so all pretty- let's talk about let's talk about a bit of a problem that the Academy has. And that's that they are a little and I say that is is the Academy is like this incredibly wide swath of people who are incredibly diverse. Um but the way this group of people votes is I think they like Im- impersonations of famous people a little too much in their acting mm-hmm. awards. Yeah, I agree. Well, because I think it gives you something to compare it to. Like, if you look at, like, oh, how close does Gary Oldman get to Winston Churchill or Allison Janney to, I, or to Tanya Harding's mom, I think it gives you that perspective of, like, how do they do compared to that? Uh, which is not to say that it's a yeah. fair thing to do, but it's, I think it's a very... Uh, one-sided view of how to judge a performance. Yeah, like Gary Oldman, I mean, one of the greats of all time, should have already won an Oscar for something, anything. But in this performance, I mean, there's a lot he's doing, but Kazuhiro Suji's doing a lot of heavy lifting here too um, mm. with the makeup and everything. Um, and I will now, say that I now have had never Gary seen... Oldman put on 50 pounds for this role. I might be <laughs> right. a little more impressed. Pulled a Christian Bale, but, which is what Trevor, Christian Bale would have done. Have you ever seen somebody put on socks so interesting as Daniel Day-Lewis? See, that's the thing. I thought Daniel Day-Lewis like is Reynolds Woodcock. Like, like right. there's no one else to compare him to. It's just like, if you just told me this is, we're filming this person, that's who it is. That's why I felt for this particular award, Daniel Day-Lewis was more deserving. It's but, almost I mean, as if they were like, look, you're too good. Like it, like the obvious choice would be for us to give it to you because yeah, you're the greatest actor of all time, but you know, we're, we're going to give it to somebody else. It's, it's blows my mind. <coughs> At the same um, time, very happy for Allison Janney to, to yes. get some recognition. Yep. She's an, you're an honorable mention. My heart, Allison. <laughs> it's funny how much we all love her, but the the fact that she's not a mensch, it's pick some better roles. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, going back down the list, Coco's the obvious winner for animated feature. Uh, it was funny to me having watched Icarus months ago, like over the summer, I think. And then seeing Brian Fogel, who was 
uh, an amateur cyclist now being an Academy Award winner. No, he was uh, a director. His, yeah. Like was he, he directed really? feature films and was a cyclist on the side. Like he's a producer. He's a Hollywood guy. I thought. I mean, because I, I knew that he had one other thing. Like, if you look at kind of what he had before this, it was a um, play called Utopia. I, no. I thought I didn't realize that he had other stuff. Yeah, before he's that. he's directed a feature, and then I th- he's in like the producing world now. Oh, well. I, I would say that he he might have been the person who like sort of most won the Oscar by an accident. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you accidentally stumble into uh, like a Russian national conspiracy to take over the world, and you have a <laughs> film crew with you, you know, that's, well, all you he wanted job. to make was an all he wanted to make was an interesting cycle cycling slash biology movie. Yeah, and yeah. surprise, uh, we took down <laughs> Russia, which in and of itself was an interesting documentary. Like, if you just make that, that was interesting as well. Yeah, that part of the documentary. Um, do you guys think that Lee Unkrich looks like Ed Helms? Lee Unkrich being the he looks director like, of... He looks like Ed Helms' brother, maybe. Okay. Josh, Josh Groban. Josh Groban. <laughs> <laughs> oh! So... Check. I, I think that the people that are listening to this podcast would already know that me and Jake were quite disappointed by Shape of Water, so for it to win is something we've already talked about. It's a frustrating thing that probably doesn't... Deser- I think that this will be the artist in 10 years where we look back on it and we're like, seriously, that one? Really? Okay. So what do you guys think, like looking back 10 years, ahead 10 years, what is everyone going to say like, oh, that should have won? What Get movie out. is it going to be? Get Out, 100%. I think Get Out or Get Out or Three Billboards. I think Get Out is obviously like the film of 2017 that is going to stand the test of time and go on. But I think um, three billboards is going to be that like indie, just like intimate character study piece that goes on for, for years to come that film nerds are just going to like geek out about over the screenplay and the directing and the performances and blah, blah, blah. I think that yeah. also depending on what happens with Greta Gerwig's career, Lady Bird could have some longevity to it. Like I think if she goes on, and keeps making good movies like this, then this film's reputation like keeps building and building towards like, let's say she never makes another movie. This film might kind of be that like forgotten film of 2017. But if she keeps making them and it's like, Oh man, Greta Gerwig's filmography is amazing. Then this could be like that film. That's like, man, do you remember when lady bird started at all? Both, uh, both lady bird and baby driver were shut out. Surprising Which, baby driver. My favorite film of 2017 not winning anything shocking uh, that's fine it's fine in academy it's fine don't worry about it. it's fine um but as many of you know we last week talked about our thoughts of the oscars and we made a bet and the bet was that whoever had the worst predictions for the 2017 2018 however you like to look at it academy awards the 90th academy awards they would have to watch the winner for worst picture at the razzies what won Worst Picture at the Razzies was the Emoji Movie. Now, we scored this kind of on a weighted scale. We did one for tech categories, two for screenplay, two points for screenplay, three points for acting categories, and five points for directing and picture. Um, I think Trevor kind of got 
made some very bold predictions and got <laughs> got caught up. Um, Trevor ended up getting seven. Oh, we also didn't count foreign film or any of the short film categories because we had barely seen any of those, so it doesn't make sense. So of the 20 categories, Trevor got seven right. Um, Jake got 14 right. I got 15 right. Um, for Trevor having a weighted score of 14, Jake a weighted score of 23, and myself a weighted score of 25. So... It looks like between now and the start of the summer movie season, Trevor will watch the Emoji Movie and give us a quick five-minute review on the podcast. Mm. I will. I will watch it um, in fifteen-minute segments during my lunch over the next couple weeks. Okay, <laughs> I, think I can handle that much at a time. Enjoy hate watching the Emoji Movie on Netflix. Maybe I. I, I may just uh, send out a few tweets as I'm doing it on the Popcorn Optional Twitter. Mm. Just so you guys good. can get a look into what it's like. Just give us 15-minute review tweets. Minutes 1 through 15. Here we go. Minutes <laughs> 16 through 30. Yeah, I think that'll be good. So, um, But those are our thoughts on the 90th Academy Awards. Um, yeah, it was a pretty predictable year uh, in a lot of ways. And I think when you – like, I, I, the funny thing was that everybody was talking about how the best picture race was the most wide open it's been in years. but there was always kind of that like seedling in the back of my head that it was like, it's going to be shape of water. It's going to be shape of water. It's going to be shape of water. And as much as it frustrates me, it's ended up winning. So it is what it is. But you know what? Another day in 10 years, we'll come back and we'll do it right. (laughs) And we'll do it right because we'll be on episode 500 doing this thing all over again. Exactly. That'll be weird. Episode C C C C C. Or is there a Roman numeral I, for five hundred? I think it's. I think it's a D. Episode D. <laughs> <laughs> ten years later, Oscar is twenty seventeen. <laughs> so look forward to that ten years from now, guys. In which we uh, we reaward Best Picture to Blade Runner twenty forty nine, or Wind River, which wasn't even nominated. <laughs> that's the biggest snub of the night, right there. That's but, the funny hey, thing is that like the film that we as a podcast you, like gave our best picture or our favorite film of 2017 to wasn't nominated for anything. Zero g- nominations. How is when re- best original screenplay? Come yeah, on. I saw a lot of my fellow film people just being like, uh, everyone go see Wind River, like the best film that uh, wasn't nominated. Please go see it. So I think Oscars like snubbing it shed light on that film. So more people are going to see it. But, um, yeah, it's a bummer. So in 10 right. years, we will give that the best picture. The thing that definitely did not belong here was Denzel Washington getting nominated. Right. I felt like everyone like right. accepted. like As it was happening, everyone was like, oh, I forgot that movie happened. I forgot <laughs> Denzel Washington happened. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, at Denzel some point, all of his characters became the same. Right. Yeah. I like so here's here's my thing with Denzel is I feel like when Denzel is on he's so entertaining to watch but when he's off it's like I want nothing to do with his performance. He he needs like he needs to be a bad guy or to mm-hmm. be a good guy who's had really bad things happen to him. Mhm. What was funny was when his uh 32nd acting clip came on screen my wife turned to me and goes, he plays the same person in every single movie, doesn't he? And I was like, I think so. Pretty much. I would love to see like a through line of like, here's this one man's story through all of Denzel's movies. Let's get to the 10 year, 10 year recap. 
All right, so here's what we're going to do now. We're going to do the 10 years later Oscars, and this was an idea that Trevor came up with back in college. So, Trevor, let's talk a little bit about the inspiration behind this idea. So I think the seed of this came from some things that I read in college, um, people talking about how uh, maybe like a Roger Ebert piece that talked about, um, may he rest in peace, the – like how we can't really judge the impact or the quality of a film until we sit on it for a little while. And I think um, uh, Bill Simmons, the sports writer used to talk about this with, with movie and sports awards to kind of look back and maybe give us, give ourselves a second and not get caught up in narratives and emotions when we give these, when we, when we pick these awards. Um, I feel like the biggest example of this is the abominable film crash winning best picture in 2006. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, or I guess 2007 Oscars, maybe we missed that one by a year, I guess, um, for recording this kind of podcast. And we could just talk at length about how Crash is an, an awful movie about racism made by people who are completely tone deaf about racism. Um, yeah, Paul Haggis has a couple Academy Awards somehow, actually. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so, so, so I think that, um, there's there's something to that idea, and Cam and I used to discuss it back in college about how we really should kind of wait and see and see the cultural impact of these films and the the um, impact they have on the film industry and the films that people are making, the staying power they have, um, whether people know like the lines from the films, how these scripts hold up, um, how these acting performances hold up, especially in the context of an actor's whole career. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's an interesting thing. It's also a good way to kind of go back and, and kind of give some attention to some movies that you may have forgotten about that we may have forgotten about. Um, and to just have some fun talking about movies and and get away from what we kind of do every week of going to about new, 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 um, what's the newest thing, the hottest thing, but, but going back and thinking, you know what? Great films have been made for the last hundred years, not just every weekend at the box office. Right. And one of the big things that I think also brought this on was in 2011, the Academy Award was for the 2010s was given to uh, the King's speech over the social network. And I remember at that time, both of us being like, look, the King's speech is a fine movie, but it holds doesn't even hold a candle to the social network. I think it's a very wrongfully given Academy Award. When you look back I, on that, the the social network is like the only fictional piece I've ever seen that made me want to like actively change parts of my life, <laughs> <laughs> like 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 immediately, like yeah. like throw my phone in the trash can as I left the theater. <laughs> yeah, delete Facebook, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, and so Trevor hit on this. You know, the big thing about movies is the legacy they leave and maybe not necessarily the respect they got at their time. If you look, you know, back when Blade Runner came out, it was not that well received critically or box office, but now it's one of the most beloved sci-fi films of all time. And so, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to bring a little bit of light to um, the awards as they would be looked at 10 years later. So let's go ahead. There's a couple of things we're not going to do just because it would be hard to go back and break down all of these categories. So we probably, we're not going to really talk about art direction, makeup, costume design, foreign language, documentary, short film, documentary, animated short film, live action, short film, sound editing, sound mixing, and film editing, just because it would be very hard to go back and talk through all of those. 
But um, we have a bunch of other categories that we're going to get to, some of which we ended up when we tallied everything together, the way that we did this was we took a look at what was nominated. We took a look at what wasn't nominated. And then we each personally ranked those as to how they sit with us today, whether that's um, we haven't seen that film. And so, you know, if it was really that good, we would have seen it or whether it's uh, I don't remember that film nearly as well as I probably should. There's a couple of different ways that we looked at this. And so we ranked all these films. If a film was in first on somebody's list, it got five points. All the way down to fifth, it got one point. And then if there were multiple six, seven, eight, they all got one point as well, just for having simply been seen or remembered or having been ranked. So there are some categories where we ultimately agreed. And there's actually a lot in this year that we ultimately agreed with what happened. But there's other performances that also deserve to be highlighted. Then there's categories where we completely disagreed. And um, with each other or with the Academy, that'll be uh, fun to talk about later in the episode. But let's go ahead and get to some of the obvious ones. Best animated feature. Guys, this was not a good year for animated features. <laughs> there are literally three films nominated, Persepolis, Ratatouille, and Surf's Up. And I can give you one guess as to what actually won and what we all unanimously gave best animated feature to. Um, Ratatouille. For for uh, what it's worth, I have not seen Persepolis, and I hear that it's very good. I've good. read the graphic novel, and it is oh, good. Was it good? Yeah, I had to read it in college, I think. It was good, but, I mean, it, it's Ratatouille. Like, it's so good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just, just the audacity of a rat who's a chef. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> That's 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 a uh, one of the one of the more ambitious films ever made, I think, in some yeah. ways. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely ambitious. Uh, it's frustrating because it's not. Um, it didn't go up against anything too strong, and so it's not always. I feel like it's like, well, yeah, you gave it to Ratatouille, and that kind of discredits the greatness of Ratatouille. But Ratatouille, if we go back to our ten years later Oscars, or not ten years later Oscars, our Pixar rankings from back in June. Uh, is an incredible film that we all love tremendously and uh, obviously deserved unanimous win. Trevor, you had a funny joke in this section as far as what was the best animated feature. <laughs> um, I think that Transformers should have been nominated. <laughs> um, it it pretty clearly, I mean, it's it's as much of an animated feature as like Who Framed Roger Rabbit or mm-hmm. Song of the South, mm-hmm. you know? One of those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, another category that was pretty predictable was uh, Best Original Song, uh, which we all unanimously voted for Falling Slowly from Once. But mm. came in second place was When Your Mind's Made Up from Once. Mm. Uh, and then tied for third was That's How You Know from Enchanted and Raise It Up from August Rush. Listen, Brokenhearted Hoover Fixer Sucker Guy is like 54 <laughs> seconds of musical genius from once. Yes. That movie, that's brilliant. That's one of like the rare movies where if someone's like, should I watch that movie? I'm like, yes. yeah, but you should buy the soundtrack first. Like, yes. It's yeah, if you don't so like good. the music, you're not going to like the movie, I guess. Yeah. 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 And I feel like there are times where knowing the soundtrack going into a movie makes the movie more enjoyable. And I, I'm going to guess that that may be the case with once because on the times that I've gone back and rewatched it, 
Um, I've liked it more and more. I don't know if that's just the quality of the movie or the soundtrack, but knowing the songs definitely makes those scenes all that more interesting. All right, so let's get into the acting categories. There is an obvious one. There's a very, very obvious one. Best Actor, uh, which we all unanimously voted Daniel Day-Lewis. Duh. He'll drink your milkshake. Uh, He'll drink your milkshake. So this... I, I watched this for the first time like five days ago. I, I had not seen There Will Be Blood. What? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Oh, man. Um, Give us your thoughts. I am Give us your thoughts. shook. So There Will Be I'm sure we'll get into it in other things. Um, this is just like a beautiful, sprawling epic of the depravity of humanity. Mm-hmm. I just... In, in any shape and form. The performances by Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano in this are just ridiculous. Um, that's the, the, in the final scene where the famous I drink your milkshake line, like I knew the line, of course, and it had no less weight from me knowing it ahead of time. The what What happens in that scene, the way that it's played by both of them, the way that it's shot, that's just, that movie is... Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it, it's it like, amazing. And Paul Dano, like what an underrated character actor that everybody forgets about. He is Yeah, so he's good. great in everything. He's yeah. awesome. I mean, if you look at his career, he's had a pretty incredible career between, you know, I feel like his first kind of like big thing that he was actually in was Little Miss Sunshine. And then, you know, he had this and he has other big films like Looper that are fantastic and He's that guy that kind of just like pops up every couple of years and you're like, oh, Swiss Army Paul Man. Paul can act. And yeah, he, like, he, does, he does anything. I mean, yeah, the role that he mul- plays in Prisoners is completely different than what he does in There Will Be Blood. Mm. Yep. Gosh, when Prisoners, he, like, I forgot about that one. Man, when he gets going in this movie, it is something else. Yes. He's so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't even nominated for Best Supporting Actor. That's crazy. Oh, I, yeah, wish, I meant to I put to, him on my list that I sent yeah, you. I forgot uh, to. Yeah. Cameron, we need to we need to start over. Say, we need to start the whole episode. I say, oh, I right, can, let's kick I it back. Forty-five would have minutes, trouble, and uh, we'll go again. I know we're going to talk about this category next, but I'd have trouble putting him higher than third, just because yeah, of a couple other performances. That's a stacked right. category, right? So Daniel Day Lewis, fifteen points, all fives from all of us. Jake Gyllenhaal, who wasn't even nominated, got second place from all of us for his work in Zodiac. Uh, Gosling came in third. Affleck in fifth. That's Casey Affleck, not Ben Affleck, for his work in Gone Baby Gone. And then uh, Emile Hirsch came in fourth. And I think that was strictly because I gave him uh, third place on my list. Yeah, for Into the Wild, which if you haven't seen, Into the Wild's an incredible film. And it is uh, pretty much a one-man show with a couple characters thrown in here or there. That's just, I think that Jake Gyllenhaal benefits from hindsight in this because we've seen the other things that he's done. And I think mm-hmm. that informs how good this performance is mm-hmm. in some ways, because it's a lot different than a lot of the things that he does. Um, the other thing is, is that if I could give Johnny Depp negative points for Sweeney Todd, <laughs> I would, <laughs> I just, Dude, this was the big, too. this was, this was Trevor, the I noticed that you had him listed in the 1200s on your list. <laughs> looking, looking back at the where did it all go wrong for Johnny Depp, I think this was the beginning of the end. The <laughs> fact that Johnny Depp got nominated for that and Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Gosling didn't. And did Casey Affleck right. get nominated? 
No. Gone Baby Gone had one nomination, which is just astounding. Like Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd. Like a garbage remake of a okay musical. Like that's a better episode of The Office than anything else. Legitimately. (laughs) (laughs) A tenth the tale of Sweeney Todd. Well, I will say, dear listener, you probably are not gonna find a ton of Tim Burton love on this podcast. So I we apologize for that. We get it, Tim. People have white face paint. It's fine. We're over it. My favorite Tim Burton movie is Batman, and I will not apologize. Yeah. That's yeah, it's pretty 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 good pretty good movie. Keaton. Keaton. Um (laughs) of note, we not none of us have seen Tommy Lee Jones in in the Valley of Elah or Vigo Mortensen in Eastern Promises, which are both nominated. Um, but they're both normally great in whatever they're in. So I mean, it's Tommy Lee Jones playing a troubled cop, right? Or FBI mm-hmm. agent or whatever he always does. And Viggo Mortensen playing some sort of Russian gangster terrifying guy. Who's like quiet and secretly terribly violent, like all of his other roles. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what Aragorn was like. <laughs> in a dark way, actually, yes. Um also, Clooney was nominated for Michael Clayton, which I feel like Michael Clayton is the film from 2007 that everybody was very hot on at the time, but not a single person has talked about since then. I almost forgot about Michael Clayton altogether. Never saw it. Never saw that it. Was another one, that was another one that I watched for the first time last week. Um, I don't get it. It's a it's a good movie. Right. Um, Tilda Swinton is great in it, and we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. let's go ahead and then get to best supporting actor which was another very obvious choice in javier bardem from no country for old men as his role as anton chigurh yeah one of the I mean, scariest characters of all time seriously yeah. that that performance that movie is so haunting and uh it, it that's one of the most obvious decisions besides daniel day lewis on this list mm-hmm He's he's incredible from beginning to end, and he's what ultimately, for me at least, makes that movie what it is, is his portrayal of that villain, the character. I mean, not, not necessarily just his portrayal, but like how he was written, the way that he carries himself, the haircut, his weapon of <laughs> choice. It's all just such a like Cohen-y way of doing a villain. That the haircut. haircut is funny for about 30 seconds. And yes. then you, and then it's not funny at all. That and then it's like this, like psychopathic, like oh my gosh, this is terrifying. I don't. This is not funny whatsoever. Yeah. Ugh. Um. The other people nominated in this category by us, Hal Hallbrook got eight points for Michael or for uh, Into the Wild as Ron Franz. Uh, Casey Affleck once again got nominated in this category for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Ben Foster and 310 to Yuma. Mark Ruffalo wasn't even nominated by the Academy, um, but ben, Mark Ruffalo for Zodiac. And then Tom Wilkinson also got four points for Michael Clayton. Um, yeah, none I, of us I meant to put Ruffalo on my Charlie list, Charlie Wilson's I War, I guess, uh, which was Philip Seymour Hoffman was nominated for. He's one of those people that's always great, though, so I'm sure that's I was going to say, but I, would, I, I, have, I give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. But that's part of what makes, you know, looking at the Oscars 10 years later, an interesting look is the fact that there are all these films that it's like, nope, hadn't even, that film wasn't 
important when I saw it or not necessarily wasn't important, but wasn't worth seeing then. It's not really worth seeing now. And that's kind of like so many of these films are just, or these roles are just kind of lost because they don't have that longevity. They're hot at the time, but then, you know, months later, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. I think it also, it comes down to like, I'm not going to watch a movie like just for a supporting actor nomination. Mm -hmm. You know, like I want, I want to watch a complete (coughs) film. Um, and a lot of like, a lot of these films that are have performance nominations, yes, it's an incredible performance, but there are so many other better films with great performances that I could watch. Right, exactly. Um, let's go ahead and get to Best Actress, which was a category that Marion Cotillard won for La Vie and Rose, but none of us have seen. And yeah. as good as Marianne Cotillard are, is normally, we are going to kind of just disregard that because we all voted unanimously that Ellen Page should have won this award for, for Juno. I will say, oh, yeah. out of all the films that were nominated, that was the only one that I saw, and I couldn't really think of any better actress performances from that year that I saw as well. So she kind of won by default for me, but I also think that that's the most lasting performance of that year i think yeah there's there's a lot the way that she delivers the fantastic script i think the two things are kind of hard to separate um but but she does just a perfect job with it the way that she moves as a pregnant woman is is spot on pregnant teenager my opinion yeah I just I'm I'm very impressed by her. I I the the thing about Levy and Rose is I'm not certain about foreign films getting nominated for things just because there's a category for that and I know it's not an acting category and I know it happens every now and then but it's sort of an odd thing to me. Mhm. Mm. Yeah. Um the other thing uh is that you know, the only other one that I think we had all seen was Gone Baby Gone, which would have been Michelle Monaghan. So she was great. Um, and I will say that um, Kate Blanchett is fantastic as Queen Elizabeth in Elizabeth the Golden Age, but I th- believe I was the only one to have seen that. Then there's other films like Julie, or like Away from Her with Julie Christie and The Savages with Laura Linney that none of us had seen and are all kind of. Um, I'm sure that they are great performances, not something that we had checked out at the time or have checked out since. Um, let's go ahead and get to Best Supporting Actress, which, interestingly enough, came out to be a tie between Tilda Swinton and Saoirse Ronan. Tilda Swinton for her work in Michael Clayton, Saoirse Ronan for her work in Atonement, and then Amy Ryan uh, for Gone Baby Gone, which was, I think, was a default for Jake on yep. that one as well. Yep. Um, also, interesting of note, Allison Janney from Juno was not talked about whatsoever. And she got. Oh, I forgot about her. For me. Oh, yeah. <sighs> I didn't think about her at all. Dang it. Mm-hmm. She, plays such a, she plays such a good, like, disappointed mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, that's true she she does we have yeah. nice little a nice little bookend here with Saoirse Ronan being nominated this year and 10 years ago 
for acting awards. Somehow, 10 years later, is still playing a high schooler. <laughs> yep. Somehow is, still doing was, it very well. She was great in Atonement. For a 13-year-old, oh my right. goodness. I would give this category to Saoirse Ronan. I know that Tilda Swinton's great and Michael Clayton, but I don't think there's anybody that really can touch what Tilda or what Saoirse Ronan did. So I think she's that great. would be my personal choice. Um, the other thing is Kate Blanchett's also nominated for Best Supporting Actress for I'm Not There um, as Jade Quinn, which I'm Not There being the Bob Dylan movie. Um, and then Ruby D from American Gangster were the other two I have nominated. Not, I have not category. seen that. Yeah. So Best Supporting Actress, kind of a wash, kind of, you know, a, yeah, we'll give it to Sir Ronan. Um, I'm cool with that. The next category is Director, which we all had a unanimous vote on that was contrary to what the Academy had done. We all went and voted and said that Paul Thomas Anderson should have won Best Director for There Will Be Blood Ooh. instead of Joel and Ethan Cohen for No Country for Old Men. Wow. So I love the Cohen brothers. No one does what they do. Um, you mean Francis but, McDormand's husband and his brother? Right, exactly. Yes. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to clarify they, who we were talking about. The, no one can consistently make movies of any genre like the Cohen brothers. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll say they were slightly bested this time by PTA. That there will be blood feels very personal to me. I know it's an adapted screenplay, um, but I think a lot of the emotions and the experiences here are drawn from something real, and I think that comes through, especially the religious things. Mm-hmm. I think those come from from experiences from his life. Um, yeah, and that that's me not knowing anything at all, but that's just the way that it feels from watching this film. I also feel like no one would make this movie like the like this like it's such right, a right. and like the job of the director is to carry the story and carry the narrative through the actors like the actors is who the director is working with one-on-one the most because every other thing the director is steering the ship but they're department heads for that mm-hmm. um, and the performances right. that he gets out of Paul Dano and Daniel Day-Lewis, and all of the other supporting cast, and the story that this tells, and the way that it's told. I mean, it is, it, it, it's its own thing, like its own genre, it's its own, it, it, it is incredible. The way that this film shows you all of the sides of Daniel Plainview, I think is something that, like, it's harder to do than it seems like it would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think uh, PTA has gotten shorted a lot at the Academy Awards. And if you kind of, you know, in retrospect, looking at his career from where we are now to back in 2007, if you kind of take a look at, you know, what he's done with Phantom Thread, The Master, and this, I mean, those are three incredible films that I feel like have aged incredibly well. And it's kind of shocking to look back and think that anybody other than PTA would have won this category. Yeah. Um, especially with, you know, I, I feel like time has been very kind to there will be blood. I feel like it's aged incredibly well and will continue to age very well. And not to say that no country for old men hasn't, but that, you know, it's, uh, 
I think that he got shorted at the Academy Awards. And I'm, I'm always curious if part of that is what he had done in his career up until this point, you know, making a romantic comedy, drama, black comedy-esque film in Punch Drunk Love, and then, you know, Magnolia, Boogie Nights. I mean, he didn't have the most, like, Hollywood Oscar career up until this point. So I wonder if that was a response to that. Did I think it? There's um, the, the, a couple things about PTA. His His period films don't feel like period films. They don't feel like stale and old and stodgy and i think that's something that's um that's pretty impressive and as i was watching this last week i was thinking this movie could have been made this year like there's nothing Mm -hmm. about this movie that says 2007 to me um and that's i mean kind of what you were just talking about cam i think that's that's an that's a pretty impressive feat in a lot of ways like michael clayton feels very 2007 right um but but this movie does not it could have come out last saturday and been exactly the same and it wouldn't have surprised me at all so the other directors getting nominated for best director are jason reitman with seven points fincher with six points and affleck with three points and then other directors mentioned uh gilroy for michael clayton wes anderson for darjeeling limited edgar wright for hot fuzz and john carney for once moving on to adapted screenplay we have um, no country for old men. There will be blood Zodiac and gone baby gone. Now we all unanimously voted for no country for old men with there will be blood unanimously in second and Zodiac unanimously in third, man. Right. So we're on it. Why? Yeah, yeah. So why do you guys think that no country for old men is a better script than there will be blood? I think, so no country for old men. I'm going to spoil it here. So if you haven't seen it, what the hell are you doing? Go watch that movie. Um, before you it, even listen to the rest of the podcast, just, yeah, just stop like, and go do it right now. Um, but that, <laughs> that movie I think does a better job of like towing the line of good and evil than most movies do. And yet nothing really happens in the movie but it's like two hours and 15 minutes ish and you are just like encapsulated the entire time and um the dialogue is so realistic in this movie um that's that's my only complaint with there will be blood is like it's so theatrical but it's done so perfectly that um it it it, people don't talk like that like they might i I don't think they talked like that either. It's just so like, I might be wrong. Who knows? Um, but No Country for Old Men just feels so real, so raw. Um, yeah, that's just my that's just my opinion. Yeah, it it. I've not I, I've read Cormac McCarthy, but I have not read No Country for Old Men. I will say, turning Cormac McCarthy into something for the screen is not as easy as you as a lot of books are. Um, the way that he writes, the things that he writes. Um, there's a reason why people have been trying to make a Blood Meridian movie for 35 years and it hasn't happened. Um, also, read Blood Meridian. It's one of the great novels of all time. Um, 
but there will be blood. <laughs> I feel like can't win best original screenplay because there's only one word in the first 14 minutes. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, you, you, right? There's, but there's so much more to a screenplay than what is right, actually. I know. I know. I'm just. I'm just playing. Um, there's maybe more memorable quotes from "There Will Be Blood," but I'm. I'm with you, Jake. I think there's more of a. The story is told more through the dialogue in "No Country for Old Men" than it is, and there will be blood. Um, so I think that that's kind of what what pushed it over for me. Yeah, I th- I'm with you guys. I think as a script, what I remember there will be blood for is the performances. But I what I remember "No Country for Old Men" for is the script and the way that the story comes together and the dialogue of especially of the character of Anton Chigurh. And so for that reason, I mean, that's why I put it up there. Um, Other films that were nominated by the Academy that we didn't see away from her, which was written by Sarah Poli, the diving bell and the butterfly by Ronald Harwood, which uh, we will talk about. I think, no, we won't talk about it later on, but both those films. And this is kind of my interesting, like takeaway from going through all of this and trying to break it down was that, any film that feels or that from the uh, tagline or the logline looks and feels very Oscar baity are the films that have died out over the years. I I have like no memory of those films existing. Exactly. Before I went back and looked at this list a couple weeks ago. I think The Diving Bell and the Butterfly is a foreign, I think it's a French film. Um, and I think... I'm not sure. I think away from her is Canadian, which I don't technically know if, I mean, I guess it's Canadian. Um, but I think both of them are foreign films. If I remember right. Um, moving on to a somewhat contested category in original score. Uh, the four films that were, we all had on, I think on all of our lists were Ratatouille, Atonement, Michael Clayton, and 310 to Yuma with, Two films tying, Ratatouille and Atonement, both tying at 13 points. So Hmm. where did you guys rank those two films and why'd you put them where you put them? I had Ratatouille at number one. Um, Just personally, I love the way that Pixar adapts the score to fit the story. And I think that that is very prevalent in this film. Like the, the culture of... Paris and cooking. I mean, when you listen to it, you can almost like hear the water boiling in the background or something. Um, and I, I also have more experience with this score. Like it's, I have a, I'm a nerd and I have like a film score playlist that I'll listen to if I'm trying to get in the zone of focusing or writing or whatever. Um, and yeah, I just, I have a lot of songs from Ratatouille on there and, uh, they, they did an incredible job with that one. Atonement is also, I have a lot of songs from Atonement as well, but Ratatouille in my mind is more, you hear it and it's immediately like, that's Ratatouille. Right. The, I, I was on the Atonement side. For me, um, Atonement is a film that is has a lot of emotion to it. I think that's what carries the film. And I think the score kind of keeps you in the emotion that you're supposed to be in at the proper time. Um, and, and I just, I think, I mean, I know that that's what a score is supposed to do, but I think that for atonement specifically, that was just nailed perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
if there was a tiebreaker, it would go to Ratatouille if we're doing this right, because Ratatouille received my first place vote as well. And I, I agree with Jake. It's, it's incredibly recognizable. It's one of those scores that you hear it and you instantly are swept into the movie and the feelings of that movie and the moments in which you see it. You know, you kind of, you hear it and you instantly think of Remy cooking in the kitchen and uh, Gusto and all, all that whole environment. And uh, while I think the atonement score is maybe more intricate, I think, I feel like the Ratatouille score is a more memorable and recognizable. Not that that makes it better on a music scale. Like I've said before on this podcast multiple times, I'm not the person to ask about musical, but the one that I think is better is Ratatouille. Um, but that's Ratatouille and Atonement, both for original score. Michael Clayton also received seven points and 310 to Yuma received seven points as well. And then the one that none of us had seen or talked about was the kite runner by Alberto Iglesias. Read the book. Um, it's a great book. Haven't seen the movie. So next up is Best Original Screenplay, which the reason why we're featuring this one later on, while we ultimately ended up agreeing with what the Academy did, was kind of a contested category between the three of us, um, with there being a close race between Juno and Superbad. So yeah. I think um, Juno ended up being the one that we went with, but um, Jake, I know you had Superbad as your top film, so why Superbad over Juno? Superbad was the first movie that I ever watched that I was like, this is high school. This, <laughs> this is really what high school was like. Um, like the way they talked. Um, it was also, I think, like Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill had a perfect example of like a high school guy friendship of like one second you're ragging on each other, the next second you're talking about school stuff like there's Mm -hmm. i don't know it just was so relatable it was so funny it's still like even though it was very a 2007 movie uh, like aesthetically and the things that they're talking about like you can rewatch that movie now and it's still super funny like still totally applies it's really smartly written and like how funny it is and the jokes it's not like slapstick comedy it's all very smart very funny very poignant um and it also most of the comedy is unique like it's not things that you've seen in other films yes i i personally think it's the best script that seth rogan ever wrote um and yeah i mean i'm i love super bad it's it's one of my favorite comedies of all time because of just how much it reminds me of what our high school experience or at least my high school experience slash like my generation of high school was actually like. Yeah. I, I love super bad. Um, and I completely agree with everything that you said, Jake, nothing that I've seen before nails like what navigating through high school at that particular time was like, I think in a lot of ways. Um, but the Juno script is just, it's so quick and snappy and fun and insightful and honest. Um, I kind of feel bad on some level for Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman, both who kind of found this like special pairing and perfect storm of a lot of things early in their careers. And I feel like they've never quite repeated it or even really come close to it. Um, But this Juno screenplay is just fantastic. I've, this is one of the more unique movies I've ever seen. 
this there's been some kind of quirky offbeat indie kind of thing since then but i think this was one of the few ones to kind of come to the mainstream and also appeal to the mainstream yeah i feel like this was the big like juno was the big like indie film that kind of broke out and everybody was like that indie hipster type thing that so many people have tried to replicate and few have even gotten close to um i'm gonna throw a wrench into everything though and say that while you Jake had Superbad as his top one. Trevor had Juno. I had Hot Fuzz, which nobody else even had on their list. Um, I love Edgar Wright. I don't think that's uh, something that's ever been talked about on this podcast. Uh, just kidding. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I said Baby Driver was my favorite from from last year, and Hot Fuzz was is in my top ten favorite films of all time. And it's. Um, I think this script is just incredibly quirky and unique in how it breaks down the tropes of action film, action films in general, and kind of takes them, deconstructs them, and then repurposes them in a very like sincere homage to uh, the action film genre. And so, but uh, while you know you guys kind of went back and forth on Juno, I had Juno higher than Superbad on my list, followed by Ratatouille, which ultimately put Juno. At 13 points, Superbad at 12 points, Lars and the Real Girl at 6 points, Ratatouille at 6 points, and Hot Fuzz at 5 points, even though it was only on one person's list. Um, Enchanted and Michael Clayton each got 1 point. And then the Wait, Savages, you guys didn't have Enchanted on your list? Come on. I did not. I don't think I've seen it's, Enchanted. Oh, man, it's great. It's yeah. it's. I'd be it's, curious to see what Jake thinks about it, because, like, as good of a film as it is, I don't know if it's Jake's. Yeah, and I mean, Jake, this is nothing. Again, I don't know if it's Jake's like type of film that. I'm not sure. I don't know. Like this is one of those films that's like an enigma. I feel like I'm normally good at predicting whether or not somebody could <laughs> will like a movie or not. And Enchanted is in that like area that I'm like, huh. It's it's about as good as it could possibly be, and I and I think mm-hmm. that that there's there's value in that. Well, okay, right. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll say um, this category makes me think there should be an Oscar for best comedy or something. Yeah, I just, I don't, well, no, because then that's saying that comedies should be judged in a different way than every other film. Yeah, I think but, the, but they don't get nominated deserve, for best picture. Right, but I think that's more of a problem with the Academy than it is with the films themselves. Like, I don't think that we I should then so. just make a special category because the Academy is doing something wrong when these films, like, I think The Big Sick is one of the best films from last year, but it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. But right. I also would feel frustrated if they were like, let's have like, that's what makes me frustrated about the Golden Globes is then you're trying to find different ways to award films. And while it feels like, it feels like that, like everybody gets an award thing instead of like, no, just nominate the ones that deserve to be nominated and then people won't be upset. Like, did I think Big Six deserved to win Best Picture? No. Did I think it deserved to be nominated? Yes. I think it was one of the best films from last year. Yeah, that was my rant for the I night. I respect that. Um, of note, we none of us have seen the Savages, starring Laura Linney and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, so that's that. But uh, getting into visual effects, this was probably like this was something I was like, man, I think I'm gonna make this choice, and then it might be controversial, but we'll talk about it on the podcast. And then Jake and Trevor made the exact same choice. We all said that Transformers was the best visual effects okay. of twenty of two thousand seven. 
this was a no-brainer. This was the the best visual effects movie maybe ever when it came out. This was yeah. like the what they were able to pull movie. off with this is Crazy. insane. The, the the attention to detail on the Transformers themselves is absolutely incredible. And it like and I was for for better or worse in my opinion worse. It kind of changed filmmaking. Like mm-hmm. that was the yeah. that was the movie like, where people were like, "Whoa, CGI!" Like we. Yeah. We we can do this. <laughs> right. I mean and, it was, and the, I mean the the good thing is, I mean the good that came out of it is we got Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or I mean the good <laughs> of it is that you know we got four more Transformers films and another one coming out this this December. <laughs> With somehow I think fewer and fewer humans in the cast each time. Which <laughs> honestly is fine with me. I would enjoy that more. Just give me that. Right. a film that actually digs de- deep into the Transformers. No, I mean, real. I mean, we all know the main character is actually Josh Duhamel. Yes, well, um, Tyrese. Oh well, yeah, I guess that's true. It's it was more really like a buddy cop like a, of like. It's really John yeah, Turturro. It's kind of a like offbeat, um, strangely told buddy cop film when you really get down to it. Mm-hmm. No, I hundred percent agree. Um, <laughs> but Golden Compass ended up getting wasn't even in our top five as far as points of that category which if you go back and just watch a trailer doesn't look great i don't know how it won um but harry potter finished in second with 10 points 300 and third with nine points sunshine had six points and pirates of the caribbean at world's end had three points how was how was 300 not nominated for this this like broke people's brains when they went and saw it people were insane about this movie I think if there was a best slow-mo category, that one definitely would have won. <laughs> it's where it's where Zack Snyder became Zack Snyder, you know? Well, right. that's the fact why. That Sunshine. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, I will say it's the one good film that Zack Snyder has made. Well, I don't think Man of Steel is a bad film. I think Man of Steel is good. But I think it's like the one actually like innovative and good film that he's made. I think everything else is just kind of bleh. So um, I'm happy that we actually have the Snyder cut of 300 and I'll leave it at that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Sunshine wasn't even nominated in this category either, which is very simplistic in the way that it does its visual effects. It's not like in your face, but the way that it works the sun and just the visual effects that it does with that in outer space is incredible. That I think might be the most underrated movie to come out of this year. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, I I like barely even remembered it before you mentioned it last week, Cam. Yeah. So which I, is that's a one that I like by Alex Garland from last week's yeah. Annihilation. Yeah, I need to figure out a way to watch that. It's yeah. so good. well worth your time. Well, well worth your time. Well, we are down to our second to last category, which is best cinematography, and we had varying opinions on this category as well. Uh. And it kind of was a toss-up between Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and No right. Country Say for the Old full Men. title, just like Andrew <laughs> I'm Dominic. I'm going to say it every single time. The, the time. Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. It's just like every time that somebody says Borat, I'm like, I'm sorry, what film? It's not the, uh, <laughs> it's not the full title of that film. Sorry, wait, do you mean, who is Dwayne, the, Dwayne Johnson? I'm not familiar with that person. <laughs> I need Dwayne you to use his full Rock? name, please. Uh, um, but no country for old men and assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford kind of, uh, went back and forth. And ultimately the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford won. 
and gave Robert Deacon, or if it had happened, would have given Roger Deakins his first Academy Award for cinematography back in 2007. Or even though he was nominated once again for No Country for Old Men as well, yeah. ultimately lost out to There Will Be Blood. He was nominated twice in the same year and lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that that's just showing that he can't catch a break, I don't know what is. Here's what I think happened. I think I think he split his own vote. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, s- slash the then there were the people who were suckered by the the amazing tracking shot in atonement. Hey, yeah, that I'd be actually curious a, to see what the like point breakdown or like percentage breakdown of this yeah. category is. Yeah, I that would, is like, one of the be best blood winners of all with time. like thirty. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I think the atone the overall cinematography on atonement is very good, but that that one shot on the beach of Dunkirk is just astonishing. Do you guys I, think that one shot is better than anything actually in Dunkirk? No, you guys know I loved Dunkirk, so no. Yeah. <laughs> I think the one shot does a better job of showing the scale of Dunkirk than Dunkirk actually does, which is weird. That's true. I will say that. I think that's true, but Christopher Nolan wasn't telling a story about people. <laughs> that's true. That's also true. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I I will say I'm surprised there will be blood one because like when you think of there will be blood, you don't you don't think of the visuals of that film. You think of the performances. Um, but No Country for Old Men and Assassina- Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. <sighs> um, both of those <laughs> are in Roger Deakins' top five or six ever. I, I think No Country for right. Old Men is one of his best. Um, and that movie, uh, especially No Country for Old Men, that movie kind of like shifted the style of cinematography to where we are today. Um, you can like look at so many cinematographers' work, especially on kind of more like I don't want to say low budget indie films, but just like more intimate stories. Everybody is pulling references from No Country for Old Men when they're like doing mood boards and stuff. That the look that movie has has kind of defined the modern cinematography age that we've been in for a while. It feels like a pretty heavy influence on Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, but other... I mean, t- well, the reason why I said the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is number one is because without the cinematography, this movie is unwatchable. Very true. <laughs> this this Andrew Dominic is kind of a butcher, um, and well, I said I guess that's maybe not the right metaphor here, um, because this movie is way too long instead of too short, <laughs> um, but. I mean, this is a bizarre film because it's beautiful and it has amazing acting performances and it's kind of excruciating at times. It really is hard to watch. Yeah. So it's it's like it's like <coughs> is it like the best bad movie? Like I don't I don't know. Or the most technically so. good bad movie. Like and it has a great score too. The score by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis is perfect for the film. But just well, it was overall, originally like, supposed to be released in two thousand six and they delayed it a whole year. Just to re-edit. I don't even know if they like reshot anything, but they just had to figure out how to edit because he had shot so many things and they just didn't even have like a through line of what the film was supposed to be. Wow. Maybe I'll say it's like the best movie I've ever seen that I've recommended to no one. Right. <laughs> 
I, I, I chose the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford uh, for a couple of reasons. There's some very unique things that are done uh, in this film that I haven't really seen. Like there's a couple shots where they do like they play around with color aberration as if it was um, like original color photos uh, and you didn't line up the red, blue and green colors perfectly right, which was very, very cool and not something that I've seen replicated and. I think like you guys have said, I don't think this film is ultimately watchable whatsoever if Deacons hadn't been the cinematographer. I think this is a film that everybody's like, this is a like zero film. How did this get released? Whoever gave him money to make this? But luckily he had Deacons and had Deacons film the movie for him and was... How know, did how did he get Deacons? Like, how, like this script isn't even good. I think, I think he probably think, told them the locations they were going to, and Deacons was like, "Huh, Canada sounds fun." Maybe he probably. I'm I'm guessing that it maybe involves some some storyboards with giant shots because that's kind of what this film is in a lot of ways. Or he yeah. just said, "Hey, look, I will give you full creative control, cinematography wise. You do whatever you want." And Deacons was like, "I'll take that." Yeah, maybe. Um, other so assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford had fourteen points. No Country for Old Men had ten points. There will be blood had nine points. Atonement had seven points. And then other ones receiving uh, points were Zodiac, Sunshine, and the Darjeeling Limited. Zodiac just did some fun little things at times. Yeah, nothing like uh, astounding or impressive. Yeah, what's Funny is, you know, we're an hour and 15 minutes into this podcast and we're just now talking about Wes Anderson and the Darjeeling Limited, which if you ask me, I think that's his worst movie. But even saying like that's his worst movie, I don't think it's saying it's a bad movie. No, it's one of the couple that I haven't seen. So I'm sure I would have liked something about it because I love Wes Anderson. Quick side note, uh, Isle of Dogs officially has a PG-13 rating. Oh, look out. For violence, which makes me think that there's something that happens with dog violence. And I'm already awaiting the controversy from PETA. Wes Anderson's stop motion dog violence is the best way to get me to the theater. I swear, if he kills a dog, I'm I'm going to cry. <laughs> All right, well, well, let's move on to our final category of the night. And even though it wasn't a truly contested category, uh, it is the best picture category. And as always, you should end the show with the best category, which is always best picture. So there are so many films that deserve to be nominated. And there are so many films that uh, weren't nominated. The five films that the Academy had nominated were No Country for Old Men, Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, and There Will Be Blood. We had also thrown in that we felt uh, Gone Baby Gone, Zodiac, Ratatouille, Once, and Hot Fuzz deserve to be nominated. Um, Hot Fuzz just being one of my nominations. Um, (laughs) But it's going to get in there, gosh darn it. Now, this ultimately came down to, there were three films that made the top five. Juno, Gone Baby Gone, and Zodiac all had five points. And then there were two films that were one point away battling for the first spot. And it was between No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. So let's talk a little bit about where those films fell for each of us and why why one was better than the other. Um, I had No Country for Old Men at number one. Um, I mean, I think There Will Be Blood has better performances. But when I think of some of the best films of all time. No country for old men is immediately on that list. I think it's a better overall film than there will be blood. 
Um, even though the performances are better and there will be blood. Uh, it's the Cohen's best work. It's Deacon's best work. It's Bardem's best work. It's Brolin's one of his best pieces. I mean, it's, it's just everyone's bringing their A game and it's Cormac McCarthy. I mean, like the source material is some of the best. Um, number two is there will be blood. I had number three. It's uh, Zodiac. Zodiac, I think is one of the most underrated movies of all time. Um, I got zero nominations of any kind. I love that movie. And like that, that is one of David Fincher's best. Um, definitely check that out if you haven't seen it number four gone baby gone horrifying too yeah i mean it's it's terrifying number four gone baby gone and number five ratatouille yeah i had no country for old men barely edging out there will be blood as well for me it's it kind of comes down to accessibility um the cohen brothers took this kind of strange weird modern western story and and made it really easy to digest while also still being compelling. Um, and I think that that's kind of shows how, the, how great they are as storytellers. Um, there will be blood is also great. Um, too, fun that we had like two kind of Westerns as uh, the, the two best films of the year, um, a genre that is somehow either good or terrible. It seems like, um, no in between in the Western genre. Um, I had Juno at number three. It's just a delightful, fun film where you just kind of think about life and what's important. Um, my number four was gone baby gone, which somehow was only nominated for one Academy award. Um, I think it's, um, one of Ben Affleck's best. I think it's one of the best. Um, if you're gonna, maybe we can do this someday. Maybe we can do a Boston movie podcast someday. <laughs> um, I would say that Gone Baby Gone yeah, is probably Goodwill one of Hunting the, the Town. Yeah. Gone Baby Gone. Departed. Yeah. Yeah. Fever Pitch. <laughs> but the, uh, was... Perfect Storm. We have to do the whole thing in a Boston accent, though. Yeah. The... Oh gosh, that sounds. Look, Mark Wahlberg over here is the greatest actor everybody's ever seen. Okay. <laughs> Go past. You like them? Wait. Apples? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever the line is. Um, I love Gone Baby Gone. I think it. (laughs) (laughs) Gone Baby Gone just kind of um, stabs you in the chest repeatedly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's. And and then my number five. Yeah, right. My number five was Zodiac, which is just. What Fincher does with Zodiac is he toes this line perfectly of keeping you sufficiently terrified, but also keeping it light enough to where you're not caught up in it. Right. Um, and I think the fearlessness shown by um, Robert Graysmith, the main character and the writer of the book, that's the source material um, is really impressive. Um, also the, I am not Avery buttons is one of my favorite little tidbits of film of all time. That is hilarious. <laughs> it's and also I, and I like, suppose I that's true. Robert because Downey was, Jr., this was before um, Iron Man had come out. And so he yeah. was a year away from like his mm-hmm. resurgence. And he could have easily been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, he's yep. great in this. I also, I also loved Anthony Edwards in this, mm-hmm. um, which I have, always have a soft spot in my heart for, for Goose. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, this was somehow... Yeah, these are these are all good movies. I, I I watched several of them in the last week to kind of catch up. I don't understand how Michael Clayton and Atonement got Best Picture nominations. They're very good films, but they don't feel Atonement. The more I think about it, the thinner it feels. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't really hit home for me. Yeah, and I think Michael Clayton, Trevor, you said this earlier, was a very like 2007, like ooh George Clooney, uh, type film. Uh, my nominations uh, for this category and the way that I ranked them were: I had There Will Be Blood as one, uh, No Country for Old Men as two, Hot Fuzz as three, Juno four, Ratatouille five, and then I also, just in case, had One Zodiac and Gone Baby Gone just beneath that. Um, I had There Will Be Blood over No Country for Old Men because I, for me, when I look at which film, gosh, I know I'm going to catch flack for saying this. Um, I feel like There Will Be Blood is a more complete and satisfying movie, slightly, than No Country for Old Men. And kind of, I love No Country for Old Men, but there's part of me that's always like, I just wanted like a just a slightly bit more. And that doesn't stop me from saying it's a great movie, but... If I'm comparing it to There Will Be Blood, There Will Be Blood feels like a more complete experience when I look at everything all together. As far as what it delivers, for me at least. And then, uh, yeah, Juno is obviously that film that everybody just loves to talk about. So that was in there as well. But um, So overall, No Country for Old Men ended up uh, winning Best Picture, just like how it happened at the actual Academy Awards. Academy, you got it right. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go academy 10 years later you got some right you got some wrong and some of them you weren't even in the same ballpark watch out we're coming for you next year with slumdog millionaire though <laughs> yeah next year giving it to slumdog millionaire over the dark night i'm gonna uh... go ahead and say that was a wrong decision also let me just go ahead and read what it's up for best picture in 2008 slumdog millionaire curious case of benjamin button frost nixon milk and the reader have any of those aged well I honestly Maybe. don't know if I've seen any of those. I was too busy watching The Dark Knight on repeat. And Tropic Thunder. Yes. <laughs> um, 2008 did Benjamin give us our first Button Martin McDonough film, David... though. Do what? 2008 did give us our first Martin, Martin McDonough film, yeah, though. I'm going to have to watch that one in Bruges. Before, our, before our show next time. Oh, dude, In Bruges yeah. is so uh, good. I think... Benjamin Button is probably Fincher's worst film, and it's probably not even close. Absolutely. Have you seen Alien 3? <laughs> okay, that doesn't really count. <laughs> I actually, it's not actually a Fincher film. I have not seen it in its entirety. Because it's unwatchable. <laughs> Man, can we talk about how how a little bit of forethought might have turned the Alien franchise into something huge? <laughs> right. So I have a couple of little 2007 tidbits. Um, can we talk about how much of a giant bummer Spider-Man three was? What, <laughs> what, like uh. Spider-Man two, like, like legitimized a genre. Like it, it legitimately said comic book movies can be great movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man three said, never mind. <laughs> 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 this is X-Men. All over again with worse CGI. Oh, this is um, worse than this is worse than X Men by a freaking yeah, mile. You're right. You're right. It's it's. I don't even know what to compare it to. It's like it's like the the Joel Schumacher Batman's without camp. It doesn't even have like a sense of style to it. I don't even. 
Yeah, it's really Ugh. bad. How can you say there's not style when you get Tobey Maguire walking down the street pulling double gun fingers at people? Ugh. What a like like did it's Sam Raimi read sweet. the comic books? Like I don't understand. I don't. I feel like, like that someone film just really told, got away from him uh, on the studio side of things. Yeah. It's like someone just told him about Venom in two and a half minutes, and he was like, oh, "Okay, I got it. Cool." Sony. That's fair. My my Classic other my Sony. other tidbits are: never have I hated a character so much as Imelda Stanton uh, Staunton as Dolores Umbridge. She oh, is yeah. just, she is just perfect. Yeah. Yep. She is perfectly evil. My other thing is, is that 2000, we, what we need to do is give an award every year for the film that your mom's friends told her about. That's actually <laughs> awful. And that film of 2007 is August rush, which is just, <laughs> oh. oh my gosh, what a garbage film that is. That was one of those films where everybody was like, oh, have you seen August rush? It's so sweet. And it's so nice. This is like a garbage performance by Robin Williams, who's one of the greats of all time. He comes off um, like a little, little creepy. It's but child, not in a good way. Rapey, not, like just. It's very odd. Yeah. There's, there's this movie is incredibly thin. I don't even. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. What an awful movie. I have not seen it, so I can't comment on it. But don't um, see it. I should just remind you guys that the difference between the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes at the Golden Globes, Sweeney Todd won Best Musical or Comedy over Juno. So I'm just going to throw that out there as a way to end our talk of 2007. And also what? Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End was the highest grossing film from that year. So what another, that was another bummer. Mm-hmm. I actually like the Pirates of the Caribbean films up and like, I don't, I think the first one's amazing. I think the next two are good. They're enjoyable. They're like those TNT movies that's like, you can put that on the background and kind of watch them. And then four and five are just abysmal money grubbing films. Five is one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh my gosh. But that's all we have for the podcast tonight. Uh, Our content of the week is the movies we talked about tonight. The ones we talked about positively, not the ones we talked about negatively. Don't go see those ones. Um, there are tons of films we've talked about tonight in a positive manner that you should go check out because they have stood the test of the past 10 years and they deserve to be seen. So go check those films out. That's all we have. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, go to iTunes, rate us, review us, let us know your thoughts, recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to show us your appreciation is to tweet about it, Facebook about it, talk about it to somebody else that you know, and just kind of mention the podcast and get people, uh, get people to give us a chance and then we'll go from there uh if you want to interact with us more go to twitter or facebook we're at popcorn optional we also have a website where you can learn more about us find all of our episodes on popcornoptional.com. my name is cameron selena you can find me online at 321 cami time jake where can we find you online you can find my website at jakebrown.tv and my instagram handles the same thing i'm i'm trying film photography so if you want to check that out that's that's been a fun adventure of failure so yeah trevor what about you yeah I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Turbo Trevor. Alrighty. Well, we have loved talking with you guys tonight. We'll be back next week with a review of a wrinkle in time, but until next time, we hope you guys have a great week and we will be back ASAP as possible. Bye. Later. Later.